My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're here today. You got your Bibles open up to, wait, where are we at? Mark. Mark chapter 6, yes. We will, well, I'll say we will. We likely will get out of Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We'll start today around verse 17. That's where we got through last week. But uh, I want to go ahead and ask our question that we ask each week. So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark that we have studied so far? So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? teaching and then they started to speculate and say, and this Mary's boy and aren't those his brothers and sisters? And then when they started not focusing on the amazing truths of like where this is not something that just anybody could do and started focusing on the worldly things that they just totally dismissed everything that he was saying and got back down into the thing there just uh, and then and just how similar today we are just um, in, in the same manner but um, the other part is where Jesus said that the prophet is is, is not uh, without honor except in his own hometown and relatives and household and just and for Jesus himself to say that and that type of thing it's just I think everyone would agree the hardest place for us to live out our faith is is, is in our home yep and it's just uh, that that's been encouraging to me it's just it's a powerful truth and it's just uh, that, that it was hard for Jesus yes yeah and because it just even to the point where he said he, he could do no mighty work there because right. of it it's not to say that we can't <coughs> you know what I'm saying it's one of those to where uh, if we just I, it's just pushed me to strive to keep my eyes on things above mm-hmm. no matter what it's distracting me down here, and, and, and that's not a one-time thing in the morning, but it's it's totally throughout the day. Wait, you can think about God more than just once a day? I, yeah, you better. Oh, that's cool. Good to know. Somebody else? It's God doing it in you through his work and the portion of Mark we've studied so far. Yes, Serena. Um, I keep thinking that um, 
Congratulations on two months of perfect attendance, too, by the way. Oh, thank you. It's pretty awesome. You did. Four extra points right there. <laughs> points have no value uh, and can be given and taken away discriminatively. Uh, um, verse 50, I love it when Jesus says, like, don't be afraid to encourage I'm here. I feel like some of this particular scripture talks about unbelief. And down here it says, like, yes. we're too hard to take it in. You know, I believe that God can do much. Believe it or not, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but I believe that what, what it's telling me is God can do much with unbelief, but not with no belief. I'm not even sure if that's a sentence, but like he can work with those who still go through life not believing, is he really there? Am I okay? You know, like, is he really going to catch me if I fall? And he is. And then there are people that just have their hearts hardened. And during this week, it's, it's, it's been an overwhelming experience, too, find that Jesus disciplines those who he loves. Yes, he does. Um, but also, he never leaves you. That's right. But there are those who are just have no belief. Yep. And you can, you can talk to them, and you can not only feel it, but literally there is a no, no belief. And then there are people like me who work as an unbelief. And in that unbelief, there's a moment where you go, is he really who he says he is? Yeah. Am I really who he says I am? And then he shows up and you're like, <coughs> and then and then it's you know what I mean? It's that walking through that faith, like, and I love that. Don't don't be afraid. Can I share something that you shared at your graduation night? Yeah. So uh, Sabrina was testifying, talking about the process of going into uh, adult being challenged. And you, you made this statement, and it was super fast, and it, it didn't sound rehearsed or repeated or planned in any way, but you said, and I'm, I'm going to mess up the exact word, because my wife knows I've never quote anything perfectly, just get the gist of it, right? You said, um, I was just praying Jesus was everything Daryl said he was. And then she goes, and he was, and he is, it's awesome. I was like, Okay, and I, I honestly, I don't know what you said for the next couple of minutes, so I kind of like zoned out there for a second, but it was really good. And he is. Uh, he's more than everything Daryl says he is. He's everything that he says he is, which is even better. So, um, cool, good, 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 excellent. All right. So let's read uh, Mark chapter 6. Got your Bibles, feel free to read along. If you don't, feel free to listen. I'm going to read all of Mark chapter 6. And we'll come back and we'll start talking around verse 17. Mark 6. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages, teaching. 
And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. And some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of him, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and had bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on the platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught, and said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away into the, go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii with bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And of those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. And immediately he gave, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. 
and he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages and cities or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. So last week we looked at the beginning of this section uh, titled in the ESV is the death of John the Baptist. And we talked just a second about, you know, the the narrative of Mark 6. Jesus' popularity begins to grow dramatically in chapter 5. People are coming to him. And in in chapter 6, he goes through and he's he's rejected at Nazareth. And then he sends out the 12 apostles and they, they come back. And we get this little excursus here in 14 through 29 where uh, we have to, Mark, take some time to explain uh, the political space that we are in at this point. Because this is going to be important later on in the, in the story of Jesus, uh, how politics comes into play here. So this is how Herod hears about Jesus because of what in chapter 5? Because of what? Miracles, right, because he's doing these miracles, right? And Herod knows, I've already killed this guy, John the Baptist, and who does Herod believe Jesus is? John the Baptist raised back to life. Okay, that was uh, most of last week, 14, 15, uh, and 16. So we'll start with uh, 17 today. It says, for it was Herod who had sent, I think this is, I don't know if it's a joke or not, but I think it's funny that Mark uses uh, apostello, this very uh, apostolic-oriented word, to describe what Herod did, uh, sending for John. And then, Luke, it's our word here. It's our word. You got it? That's it? Which one? Yeah, you're, you're the one you're about to say. Yes. Proteo. Proteo, yes, that's right. Yes, that's it. Um, so... Uh, I didn't read your mind. Most people, when they're not sure about a word, start to mouth it, and it looked like you were about to say something with K-R, so I said, I thought that was what was in your head, and it was, so, yeah, there you go. I used to do this with my kids all the time. I'm like, yes, that's the right word to say it. And like, How do you know what's in my head? Well, I can't, I don't know that. I can see what's on your lips, though. It's pretty easy, so. So this is uh, Curtail. He sees John, right? Because if you're going to go put somebody in prison, uh, might as well do it with gusto. So he sense. He sends for him and seizes John and bound him uh, to bind him up. The other definition for this word is actually the pledge to give oneself in marriage, which is uh, not exactly what he is doing here. Uh, but this is to, to bind up, uh, to bound him up and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias. All right, so now we talked last week quite a bit about the uh, awful, horrible, very bad, no good uh, Herod family tree. <laughs> And uh, Herod the Great, the guy that tried to kill Jesus at the very top, um, his uh, sixth son, I believe it is. No, it's his fourth. I think it's his fourth son. It's Herod Amethyst. This is the Herod that we're talking about here. Uh, Herod uh, marries Herodias, who was formerly the uh, wife of Philip. Um, And they actually, it's interesting how their story plays out. 
But uh, does anybody know how they met? <coughs> how Herod and uh, Herodias met? No, so Herod uh, was a, a tetrarch. Uh, never was technically a king, but he took that title himself because, you know, why not? You're in charge of things. Uh, so he was in charge of basically a quarter of Herod the Great's uh, territory. And uh, when Herod the Great died, he divided it up into several of his sons, and this is one of them. Uh, but Herod went to go visit Philip. At the time, Philip was married to Herodias. And while there, while there with Herod's wife, who he was married at the time, he already had a child, um, while there with his, uh, his first wife, he meets Herodias, and they hatch a plan to, uh, for Herod the Antipas to divorce his current <coughs> wife, to uh, take uh, Herodias's his wife, and then go from there. It's a soap opera. It, it, it literally is a soap opera. And I, I promise you, I am skipping a spectacular amount of the uh, probably X-rated portion of this particular soap opera. It's just an absolute mess. So, so John is saying, Herod, what you did here was not right. right? So, so it sees John bound in prison for the sake of Herodias or her. What's the word for the forsake of there in your text? Dia. It all goes through Herodias. See, a lot of people read the story and they go, well, Harry's the bad guy. Yes, he's the bad guy. There's another bad guy in the story too. It's Herodias. And, and there's a lot of evil going on here. So for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, uh, because he had married her. So let me ask you a question. Is it okay what... What Herod uh, Antipas did, or is it not? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Down. Okay, great. Because I'm asking you a question here in a minute, and you're going to go, mm, I don't know. Verse 18, on page 179 of your handout. It's uh, probably the same handout next week as well, so just keep hanging on to it. And I know it's got to be tattered and worn at this point from your study of it. So, verse 18, for John had been saying. The imperfect tense, this is action continually or repeatedly happening in the past. I've been saying this over and over and over and over and over to Herod, right? Not necessarily about Herod, but to Herod. It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Let me ask you a question. What nationality is Herod? What empire are we in? Roman. Roman. Right. What nationality is Herod? not Jewish. That's the point. What's John saying to him? It's not lawful. This law, now think about this. Because what law ruled? Roman. Roman law ruled. It's a big deal. Now you can explain a ton of the decisions of the political people in the New Testament from just the concept that Roman law ruled. This was important. And John comes to somebody who's in charge of a big chunk of land and says, it's not lawful. Roman law said Herod Andrews could do whatever he wanted to do. He was totally free and clear there. So who was under the law? Was John wrong here? Was Herodias under the law? 
Was Herodias under the law? This is God's law. Who's under the law? Yes, that's exactly right. We all stand condemned under the law. Okay, don't miss this point. Because John is making a wonderful, wonderful theological statement here by saying to somebody outside of Judaism, you are condemned. You stand guilty because of this. So we have this problem, right? And who did, who did Herod think Jesus was? John. Okay, let's keep going. It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now, is there a portion of the Old Testament? Is there a portion of the Old Testament where it is lawful for you to marry your brother's wife? Yes. Okay. What has to happen to the brother first? He has to die. Was Philip dead? No. He was not. He was not. So, problem number one. Problem number two. Why was it lawful for you to marry your brother's wife after he died? Yeah, because like, we this is a problem financially, right? This is a problem from a protection standpoint. It's a problem from all kinds of different societal issues. You take her on as a wife and you protect and you care for her. This is one of God's ways that God took care of God's people. Okay, cool. This is not what Herod Antipas is doing here. I want to draw a super clean distinction between what Herod Antipas is doing here and what the intention of the Old Testament uh, Leverett marriage? Am I saying that right? Something like that? Close? I think. Yeah, here we go. So, what was this marriage based on? Right, yeah. Saying this out loud might get us in a little trouble. We'll just call it lust at a high level. Okay? Because when, when did they make the arrangement? When he... Saw her. Just be careful here, right? Verse 19. And Herodias had a grudge against him. So why did Herodias have a grudge against John the Baptist? Calling out my husband. Has anybody ever gotten upset with somebody because they said something about your spouse? Yes. Of course, right? This is... What if they said something about your spouse and it was like you were in on it too? Well, now we're now we're throwing rocks down a dark alley and guilty dogs are barking, right? This is <laughs> Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted. All right, so if you mark in your Bibles, this is my thesis moment. Here you go. If you have a colored pencil handy and you want to mark in your Bible, mark the word wanted. This is, I would argue, one of the key words in uh, this particular section. Because there, this word is used several different times in this section. And it'll force you, if you think about it, to really ask the question, what do I want? What's at the heart of my desire? Because these people on this chart had a certain measure of power that they could do a lot in a lot of different ways. And their wants, some of them could come to pass. So, this is what Herodias wanted. 
This word means to choose or prefer, to be inclined to, to delight in. What would make you happy? What choice would make you happy, right? This is almost the, if you found the magic lamp and you got three wishes, what would your wishes be? Well, she wanted, she wished to put him, John, to death. And this is not a, the, the word for death here is not a O to silently snuff him out in his sleep, to uh, work through back channels, to, no, 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 she just wanted him dead, right? This is just, I desire your death. Now think about that for just a second. Is that a righteous desire? Just to, I would have thought a super easy answer would have come quickly here, but I get a whole bunch of you going like, no. Yeah, good. It's not a righteous desire. This is simple. Okay, this is very simple. All right, next page, page 180. But. She could not. And I love the way the scripture says she could not because it's dunamai. It's the, the verb form of dunamis. She didn't have the power to do this. She didn't have the, the ability wasn't there just yet for, because Herod feared John. Now, what did Herod call himself? Call himself king. Right? He refers to himself as a king later on in this text. And he is fearful of John. Phobeo, right? This is like real fear. Knowing, perfect active, uh, participle, this is a, a repeated knowledge that he was a righteous or innocent and holy or set aside and blameless man. So if you're Herod and you know what you've done here, right? You know what you've done here. And you're around a righteous man. Hey, I hope, I hope you have pagan friends and they get uncomfortable around you periodically. I hope. Does that make sense? I don't mean, look at me, I'm so wonderful. How holy I am. You should be in terror and fear. No, 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 that's what I'm talking about. But there should be a degree of righteousness and holiness and, and sanctified living it that we demonstrate such that not everybody goes, that's wonderful. John, knowing that he was a righteous man, you know, holy man, he kept him safe. So he kept him safe. This is a... This word kept is active. Herod had to actively do something to keep John safe. Who's he keeping John safe from? His wife. Right? So don't miss the active, intentional work that Herod is doing here. This is not just a, oh yeah, 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 he just accidentally, he was fine. No, 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 he had to actively do something to keep him safe here. This was within Herod's authority to put a bubble around John the Baptist right now. Now, think about what's happening at this point. God is sovereignly using a wicked king and his wicked actions toward his... This guy was wicked too. Well, they're all wicked. Except for Paul, the guy at the bottom here. Um, he's using all this wickedness to protect John's life. 
John got a longer ministry on the earth because Herod's protection of him. Is that crazy or what? What was John's job? What was his fundamental job on the earth to do? The Messiah is coming. He's right there. Go follow him. Right? What a beautiful thing that God does to protect one of his servants by using a pagan king. Because we never have we never have any evidence whatsoever that Herod or Herodias ever repented and, and turned to the gospel. There's just nothing. Josephus doesn't even make that claim. So kept him safe. So so basically it was his fear of God, John John God that kept him. I don't know that he feared John's God. I think he feared John. And somebody asked last week, did John do any miracles? So the text doesn't come out and explicitly say that he did. But Herod was nervous around him. Why would a king be nervous? Right? Was there some conviction element there, right? Because the Holy Spirit's working. But maybe not sure what he was going to do. And then you get this really neat sentence at the very end of verse 20. It's one of my favorite sentences in Mark chapter 6. When he, this is Herod, heard him, uh, I have in my notes, JTV, heard uh, John the Baptist, Herod was greatly perplexed. The, the word here is just, if, if you, have been, you have been boxed in mentally and you don't have a way out, right? So I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever, uh, did you make a JTV joke? You did, yeah. Okay. I did that for you, so that was there. there you go. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had a problem that you've been looking at and you're like, I don't know, I don't know how to work myself out of this. Like intellectually, I, I don't know how to solve this. This is the word for that. He was greatly perplexed. And yet he heard him gladly. And the word gladly just means with pleasure. Right? Look at uh, Mark 12, 37, so many other time this word's used in Mark. So look at uh, 36. David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, uh, actually 35, Jesus taught in the temple. He said, how can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, to I put my enemies under your footstool. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him Gladly. This is actually one of the few times in Jesus' teachings where a very large number of people were happy with what he said. You can like count them on one hand almost in the New Testament. But it just means happy. He heard him happy, right? He was, he was okay with it. This is good. Alright. Look at verse 21. But, dang it, I knew this was coming. There always has to be a transition, yes. But an opportunity, eukairos. You probably have heard uh, Gary talk about different Greek words for time. Uh, this uh, kairos is opportune time, and this is a very similar word here. Uh, eukairos, an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, on his genesia, gave a banquet 
Now, I want you to watch the pronouns, because the pronouns are going to be important here, okay? For his nobles, right? It doesn't look to me like the text says that he invited any of the other rulers of the empire, their nobles. It was just his nobles, okay? Uh, and, and military commanders. Now, you, you guys have... Uh, so, so what's the name in the New Testament for somebody who uh, is in charge of a hundred soldiers? Centurion. Centurion, right? This is the word for somebody who's in charge of a thousand soldiers. This is the next level up in the org chart, right? So these are the military commanders. These are like high-ranking people, military commanders, and the leading men or the foremost men of Galilee because Galilee was the area that Herod uh, had control over. For when, poor translation, uh, the word is autos, it means self, or it's translated many times as his, for his Herodias' daughter, so it's his nobles and his Herodias, right? see the ownership here because it's all about Herod. His Herodias' daughter means a female child. Uh, I won't, I'll give you this as homework to go look up uh, those verses there that are highlighted, as well as on the next page um, when it says the little girl. Uh, and I'll let you take a good stab at how old she was. Um, she was not very old. Okay. She was firmly in the this is super sketchy, creepy age. Okay. Like, not appropriate at all. This did not mean a 17-year-old uh, that was just about to be a legal adult. This is this is not that. So when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased. If your mind thinks this is gross, good. That's exactly where your conscience should be on this. She pleased Herod and his guests. So they were like-minded in their grossness as well. Right? So he kept company with people of similar morality. All the more reason that John the Baptist, when John was there, he would have really stood out amongst these guys. Right? I mean, this is a stark distinction that the text is making between the righteous holiness of John and this just awfulness here. And the king said to the girl, Ask me. You see the me again? It's all about him. And the ask is not a request. The ask is actually a command. It's an active imperative. Was she his daughter? No. Oh. She was killed. Yes. Yes. However, 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 Herodias is actually Herod Antipas' niece. I didn't get into that, too. So this is his grandniece. Right? I mean, you just, one of the things that this chart does very well is it illustrates the connections between the Bible characters and the Roman structure here. One of the things it doesn't do very well is there's actually a lot more lines that should be drawn. And when you sketch out your family tree and you go, actually, this is as simple as I can make it because there's more lines that should be drawn. That's not a good sign. 
And if you know anything about the Roman emperors at this time, Herod was not an emperor, but if, if you know anything about them, many of them struggled with mental instability and a great number of uh, emotional and intellectual challenges because there was so much intermarrying. Right? So much sin. That's what yes, sin does. it is exactly what it does. Um, th- like there's a reason that the Old Testament says you shouldn't marry your kids and you shouldn't marry your sisters and your brothers and you should. I mean, like there's, there's like genetic goodness in those type of prohibitions, right? It just keeps things safe. So yes, sir. I think you can sum this up with uh, two words, Julie. Uh, <laughs> 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 didn't go there, but that does seem like a great place to stop. So. <laughs> per our agreement before Sunday school started, you were two minutes late with that, but that's okay. Uh, no. <laughs> Alright, so part of your homework for next week, in addition to uh, the norm, the pray, hear, think, talk, share, invite, is to go look up those verses. Those, uh, where it talks about the female child and then the little girl, just to get an idea of who else in the in the Gospel of Mark does this do these words describe? And you, it's just not good. It's just not good. All right. So at your tables, you should have a weekly update. Um, so if you would make sure that your name is at the bottom of that uh, piece of paper, uh, and then after you at your table have prayed over some section of the. Prayer requests, you are free to go and to worship the one who doesn't need extra lines drawn in his family tree. Who is righteous and pure and holy in all that he does. Always. Who we don't have to look at as a king and say, well, I wonder if he's going to be good today. I wonder if he's going to make right decisions today. I wonder if he's going to treat righteous people correctly or not. Always flawless justice and judgment. And that is worthy of worship. So, thanks for coming to Sunday School today, guys. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.